Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from Ephesians um, chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Hi everyone, good to be with you. My name's Steve. and I work for City to City Australia, so Lee, that's how I got to know Lee. But I do know this area quite well, having grown up in Palmyra, went to John Curtin Senior High School. I was talking to Shirley, we went to the same primary school. I think I was there a bit earlier than Shirley, but... Uh, <laughs> but my life was a weatherboard house in Palmyra on a quarter acre block, which was stinking hot in summer. You drive down to Port Beach, cool off, and then um, come home and get hot again in about five minutes. <laughs> with the days of air conditioning. But it's good to be with you. Um, my wife and I, my wife Jill, we live in Bassendine. I brought my son along too. So we all know Fremantle pretty well because my mum lived here for a long time too. But good to be with you. And I've got a few slides, so I'll show those in a minute. Uh, if you can't see them, sorry about that. But I will explain as I go along. But the sermon title was, Is Christianity on the Wrong Side of History? Um, perhaps a way to explain that would be, imagine if... The Sunday, the next Sunday that Lee's back from America, a DeLorean car from the movie Back to the Future came screeching, steaming and hissing, and if it could find a car park spot, uh, landed in your car park, and another version of Lee jumped out from 2053, 30 years from now, and said, quick, quick, we haven't got a moment to lose. I want to show you uh, what it's going to be like to be a Christian in Fremantle in the future, in 2053. And your thoughts are immediately racing. How do we get ready for 2053? Would it be the case that you're thinking now, in 2053, we better start building big, massive buildings in Fremantle now to house all the Christians that are going to be here in the Western Australia? Would that be what you were thinking? Because it seems that as we think about Christianity in the Western world, and particularly in places like Perth, it feels like Christianity might be on the wrong side of history. You see the conversations culturally, that Christianity's had its day, it's done some stuff it shouldn't have done, 
It's not really where we're going from now on. It's not where we're going. And in 2053, maybe there'll be smaller, less churches, and maybe the Christian school across the road, uh, CBC, I won't tell you what we called it when we went to John Curtin Senior High School, but um, that might have closed. There might not be Christian schools. What will 2053 be like? Um, because it's often in the conversation that somehow Christianity is fading away slightly and it's not really the direction that people are going. And this, came, uh, this struck me, if you can see this slide, in 2016 uh, there was a campaign for the census. Remember the census that you did in 2021? Well, you did one in 2016 and you did one in 2011, which is on paper, and then 2016 switched online. But in 2011... You'd be sitting there, Harold would be sitting there in the kitchen with his piece of paper filling out the census and he'd go, hey Madge, Madge, what's the church we don't go to again? <laughs> oh, Calathumpian, and you'd write Calathumpian, that's the church we never go to. But something switched. In 2016 the campaign came out that you could tick no religion on your census. You could have done that in 2011. But this campaign came out not religious anymore. Now, the term not religious is a statement, but the term not religious anymore is kind of like a story. Because you remember that time you were religious? You had to be religious and you had to wear itchy pants to church and turn up and you said the Lord's Prayer at school, which we did at, John, at uh, Palmyra Primary School, I remember back in the day. But you don't have to do that anymore. You can still be a good person. In fact, Christianity's fading away and you're still good and moral and upright. Just tick no religion because you're not religious anymore. That's the story. And 900,000 extra people in 2016 did that. And then another 900,000 in 2021. Now, it's not the case that they were sitting in church in 2015 praising Jesus, doing the uh, Bible reading and kids ministry and then went, I'm jack of this in 2016 and off they went. It was just that the people that thought, well, I'll just tick religion because that's what I am, but I don't go. Just stop doing that. It wasn't who they were anymore. And over the next five years, another 900,000 people did exactly the same thing. It feels like, in some sense, that every time a census comes around, people are saying, Christianity's done. It's had its day. And we're not religious anymore. But there's another issue as well at stake for Christianity if it's on the wrong side of history. I know this is a football town. I'm a soccer man. But that's okay. Um, the man in the middle of that screen is Andrew Thorburn, who was the chief executive officer of Essendon Football Club for exactly how many days? One. One day. Because they found out that he went to the church of the sharp-looking dude on the other side with the great haircut, Guy Mason, sitting on a hill church in Melbourne. And they had decided to trawl up some sermons that had been preached in that church 10 or 15 years ago. And those sermons talked about issues to do with biblical sexual ethics, issues of end of life and start of life, which didn't align with what Essendon Football Club would want to be promoting, and he lasted a day. And the next day, Guy Mason came onto the Sunrise Show with David Koch and got coshed, <laughs> shredded. You Christians, you're just divisive. It's not only that there's less of you, you're done, but you've got all these issues where you're causing lots of problems. You're, you're hateful, you're this, you're that, and that's not the future we're going to as a nation. You're not only dumb, you're not 
where we're at, you're divisive. You're part of the problem in our culture that's causing us problems. And if we could dial down the level of Christianity that you're doing, there'd be a little bit more harmony in our culture. Now, I want you to think about that context, because when Paul writes the letter of Ephesians, probably to the whole region around Ephesus, it was a situation where Christianity was kind of on the wrong side of history, at the other end of Christianity, <laughs> at the start of it. It wasn't seen as if it should be something that we should promote. And more than that, it was increasingly in the area that Paul was bringing it, seen as divisive. Now, if you go to Acts 19, this is where the gospel of Jesus comes to Ephesus. Amazing things happen. People believe in Jesus. And when they believe in Jesus, they give up their old lives, including the um, witchcraft and sorcery that was in the city of Ephesus, which was a great centre of worship of a goddess called Artemis or Diana. And in Ephesus was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple of Dianus, Diana of the Ephesians. Think about it. It's, you know, think about the great wonders of the world today, the great structures. Their temple was known throughout the region as a great place where Diana was worshipped. And apparently a meteor had fallen, or there was a rock that looked in the shape of a woman, and they'd worshipped that, and they built this whole edifice around it. But Christianity came into the place and started to change things. And that got a few people upset, because Christianity was starting to divide people. And it says this in Acts 19. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. Now, the way is what they call Christianity in the early days. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, or Diana, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. You can see where this is going, can't you? And this is what he says. He calls a whole bunch of people together, and he says this. There is danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. This Christianity stuff is divisive. Never mind that it's caused, causing us you know, loss of business. You know. Slight conflict of interest there, but let's just keep going with it, right? It's causing trouble, but it's also not where we're headed. Where is divine majesty situated, says Demetrius? Not in the God who created the world, but of Diana of Ephesus and her great temple. There's a competing, there's a comp a competing interest here for where our honour and glory and majesty should be directed. And he's saying it's Diana. And Paul's saying it's Jesus. These things cannot coexist. And what happens is a huge riot. Well, almost a riot. Everyone rushes down to the temple of Diana of the Ephesians and stands chanting for two hours, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is... Everyone who says, oh, we sing the same choruses at the end of a song every day in church. You should be in, you know, the Temple of Artemis back 2,000 years ago. Two hours of greatest Diana of the Ephesians. Christians living in Ephesus were under no illusion where the future lay. It didn't lie with them. Humans 
humanity was not going to be brought together by Jesus, apparently, and glory and majesty was not going to be directed his way. And Paul later writes the book of Ephesians in a region overshadowed by another religion altogether that says, here's what unites us, here's where history is going. And his aim is to say to Christians under pressure, actually, you're on the right side of history. You're on the right side of history. Listen to these words. In uh, verses 11 to 12, I've got your reading there. Have a, have a look at those words. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, so not Jews, Gentiles, so a divided world already. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You were on the wrong side of God's history, he says. <laughs> You're on the wrong side of God's history. And they're big words, aren't they? They are divisive words. That humanity was already in conflict. There were God's people, the Jews, and there were the Gentiles who were out of relationship, not just with humans, but with God. And then it says this word, verse 13. Critical words in the Bible. But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. See, what Paul is saying here, and he's about to unpack it, is that he's saying history isn't determined by what happens in the future 30 years from now. Here's where the dividing point of history is. The point that Jesus came and died and rose again. There's a former time when you were like this, but now. Now, if you said to the average person in the street, where's the centre point of history? Where's the place that history's really turning? They might have an answer. They might say the sexual revolution. They might say when this person got voted in or this world war. But the Bible says this. The fulcrum of history where everything hinges is the cross and resurrection of Jesus. And as Christians, we would say the centre of history was 2,000 years ago when everything changed. Everything changed. We read history through that lens as God's people. And what happened? But now in Christ Jesus, verse 13, you who were once far off have been brought near, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. In other words, if you want a true humanity on the right side of history that is united and going in the same direction, here's what it won't be. It won't be the progressive secular frame in our culture today that says if we could just get rid of the old ways of doing things and we could move to a new way of understanding what a human being is, and a new way of doing politics, we'd get it all together. But it's also not um, if we could have the 1950s back and we could get in that DeLorean car and go back to the original movie scene, uh, we'll have that. Somehow as if a return to the old is going to do that for us. Paul says exactly something different. 
that where peace is going to come through humans was resolved 2,000 years ago by King Jesus. That's our issue, isn't it? What does it mean to be human today? And how can humans move forward in a world that seems to be constantly fractured? You only have to go online to see what that looks like. You're always one bad comment away from an argument or cancellation, I reckon. <laughs> or one uh, cutting in on someone on the freeway from a road rage, which is the... <laughs> it feels like we're fraught. Or one argument with your neighbour before you're putting up the for sale sign, because we don't solve stuff these days, we just move on, right? And Paul says, doesn't have to be that way. Doesn't have to be that way. The, the critical words... What was God's point in sending Jesus to die for us? Well, it was twofold. There was a horizontal and a vertical dimension to what God did at the cross. His purpose was to create in himself, in Jesus, one new humanity out of the two. Gentiles who did not know God, Jews who did. Thus making peace. Paul is very clear that the way that humans are going to have peace together cannot be achieved by a smarter humanity, a more progressive humanity, a more conservative humanity. It has to be a new human, a new humanity. And we can't do that. That's a, a vertical job by God. Part of our frustration culturally is that every time we think we're doing this, Something breaks. And we find, oh, we, we, we didn't see those things coming and that's broken us again. And how do we start again? And we'll get the plasticine and we'll crush it all up again and we'll try to make it again. And God's done that in Jesus for us. You are a new humanity. Don't feel like it. Yeah, of course you don't. We don't always feel like it. That's why Paul's writing this to the Ephesian church, that you're sitting there with the shadow of the temple of Diana of the Ephesians hovering over your city. And Paul says, actually, you're the future people of God because God has made you a new humanity. Thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. God made uh, peace with us and then peace among us. And here's the issue as a church. When we don't have peace among us, it's because we've forgotten that God has given peace to us from him, with him. Very easy to forget. It's far more radical let me give you an example. My mum uh, is from Northern Ireland. Well, we're from Northern Ireland. And it's a pretty divided place, you might have heard. <laughs> it had a civil war for 30 years. And my mum went back to live there for eight years when she was in her early 40s with my two younger brothers. And ended up in a Bible study every Wednesday night with a whole bunch of people who have been Roman Catholic, or national, a nationalist Republican and had been Protestant, loyalist. And down the centre of Belfast there's this big wall called a what wall? Peace wall. What an irony to call a wall that divides two tribes 
a peace wall. That's a war wall, right? <laughs> My mum ends up in a Bible study with a man who has no hands, and he's leading the Bible study, and he has no hands because he blew them off making a bomb. And he got saved by God in prison. And he's sitting there with people who were his sworn enemies, reading the Bible together. No progressive vision, no conservative vision can do that. Only God can do that by making a new humanity, (laughs) by his spirit. That's how it works. That's how it works. That's amazing, isn't it? And that's what he does among us. That's our hope. And the great hope for us, because unless you're Jewish here, you're a Gentile. (laughs) You had no hope. Paul says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Fellow citizens is a legal idea, right? It's interesting in our culture, most of our attempts to reshape humanity culturally are are legislative, right? This is how you are allowed to talk about another person. This is how we must do this or that or the other. And we will legislate to make you all think the same, to all be one. But that's not working. Not working at all. You think, wow, God has done something that's legally better. But, but it goes deeper than that, doesn't it? Members of his household. Relationally. Relationally. See, Christianity is radically different in this. That in a culture in which we're more and more tribal... We're splitting ourselves into smaller and smaller, finer slices. God brings together a household. You would not be in this room with people, I'm just being realistic about church, like each other, for any other reason other than Jesus. He has brought you together and given you peace with each other. And the common factor you have, though your lives are so different, is Jesus. Nothing in the world can do that. The scriptures tell us to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Not to obtain it. You've already got it. God's going, here it is, now don't break it. (laughs) Here is your peace. Maintain it. This church is fairly small in size of building. But I was speaking at Faith Community Church the other day, which looked like a Harry Styles concert venue. And I said to the people there, the great danger in this church is you could fall out with someone and you could sit over in that corner of the 1,400-seat auditorium and you could sit over in that corner and it would feel like you've solved everything, but you've solved nothing. That's like selling your house because you can't get on with your neighbour. God calls us to more than that because he's done more than that for us. He's brought us peace and brought us to be members of his own household. If you've ever had a fight with someone in your household, I've no idea what that's about. Um, You'll know what it's like in your own household when you're trying to tiptoe around each other because you've been fighting. 
You don't do that in God's household because he's given us peace. And what's the foundation of our unity? Well, it's not a vision of where we want to go in culture or my political ideas or what I think about sexuality or how I do this part of life or what social strata I belong to. The household is built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. You know what a cornerstone is? In a building in those days, it set the direction of every other stone. It was planted and you made straight lines out from it. The cornerstone of our building is Jesus. And how did Jesus deal with an enemy? He loved his enemies. He told us to love our enemies. On the cross he said, forgive them. The culture has no common foundation today. That's why we're fighting all the time in our culture. That's why social media is so hot. <laughs> no cornerstone to build a cohesive, united future, and certainly none which takes its direction from a saviour like Jesus who said, forgive, love, and serve. And what happens? This is, this is where it's the pointy end of it. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a what? Holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Ephesus is the centre of the ancient wonder of the world, the temple of Diana of the Ephesians. It goes around flexing. We're the temple. <laughs> we are it. And God says, hold my beer. Right? <laughs> right? You're the temple. You're the temple. You're the place where divine majesty dwells by the power of the Holy Spirit. Great is Jesus of Nazareth. Let's not sing it for two hours, but you get the idea, right? <coughs> Ephesus thinks it's the future. Ephesus thinks it's on the right side of history. It's got all the power, all the divine majesty, all the wealth. And Paul says, sorry, the place of God's true dwelling where divine majesty dwells is among you as you grow together as his people. You're the temple that will last. Let me give you a quick illustration of what that can feel like. As I said, I follow soccer, and this is Tranmere Rovers' home ground, part of it, who are in League Two. I follow Arsenal in the Premier League. I don't want to talk about that at the moment, it's been terrible, but about 70 spots below the Premier League, you're at Tranmere Rovers. Seats 16,000 people, they play okay. But at every point at Tranmere Rovers' ground, you can see when you're playing on the pitch another football stadium, Liverpool Football Club. Imagine playing for Tranmere's week in, week out, and Anfield, the home of the mighty Liverpool Football Club, is in the corner of your eye. There you are worshipping Jesus in Ephesus. And Paul says you're the temple of the living God. And out of the corner of your eye you can see Diana of the Ephesians. 
And Paul says, you're the future, not Liverpool, Tranmere. You're the place of glory. You're the Premier League of, <laughs> of worship. You're the place that's going to show the world what unity looks like. That's the gospel. That's you here in Fremantle. That's what it's like. Because I want to show you one last picture, which I think is quite instructive. Do you know what that is? That's the site of the temple of Diana of Ephesians. That's all that's left. Because divine majesty didn't dwell there. God wasn't doing his work through Diana of Ephesus. And the church of God has grown and multiplied and spread around the world and is growing today. Right? That is what's happening. I'm reflective this weekend because Tim Keller died yesterday. He did. That's okay. And um, everyone, it was the most unifying grief I've ever seen on Facebook for a long time. And recently in The Atlantic, he wrote an article about Christianity reviving in America. And he said this. There was no monastic movement in the early church that saved the church from pagan Rome until there was. There was no reformation in Europe that revived the church and gave the truth back to the people until there was. There was no revivalist movement in America through George Whitfield until there was. He said, the church of Jesus Christ does not go from strength to strength, but from death to resurrection. From death to resurrection. Because the Bible tells us that the Lord heals and brings to life. All we can do is the other way around. That's our hope. We're on the right side of history not because we're smarter, better, better looking, more of us, but because Jesus is the fulcrum of history. And he's bringing it to his conclusion. We're on the last day, into eternity, everyone will stand before the great and glorious divine majesty of King Jesus and praise him forever. How about I pray for us? Father God, thank you so much for our Lord Jesus, who on the right side of history, who is the centre of history and went to the cross, took the shame of that, bore our sin, and then has given us a new humanity by the power of the Spirit. We pray that we will live this truth in our lives together, that we will be at peace with each other because we have peace from you. Forgive us for our fractions, our factions and our fractured nature. If there's someone in this room we need to forgive, we pray that we forgive them. Help us to see with spiritual eyes that we are on the right side of history. Even if church fades away in our culture, we know that Christianity goes from death to resurrection. We pray for 
the ministry of Tim Keller and we thank you for it and we thank you that he's with you and for his ministry to so many people. We pray that we too will live lives longing for Jesus so that we can stand together on that great day and cry out in unison, great is our Lord Jesus, the Lamb, slain for us and worthy of all praise. Amen.